Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Uh, very good morning to you and it is a bit nippy out there I can tell you there's a real autumnal feel to the day and thanks to John Paul who was sitting in for Ken Tobin on uh, breakfast this morning so filling in for John Paul on this programme today is Bernie so Bernie's taking your calls at 1850 you can text her WhatsApp to 0862103103 but let me start with a story in connection with Court McSherry RNLI they were called out yesterday to help a dolphin which was stranded for several hours in Timaleague. It seems a group of locals attempted to move the dolphin, which had come in on a low tide, but then couldn't return to the sea. To find out how the dolphin got on, I'm joined by uh, Podrick Welly of the Irish Whale and Dolphin Group. Good morning to Podrick. Good morning. And you're welcome to the programme. Now, it appears that this same dolphin got stranded in Court McSherry. I think it was the day before, and your group was involved with helping it then. Yeah, the, the Irish Whale and Dolphin Group coordinate the, uh, the All-Irish uh, Cetacean. The Cetaceans, for your listeners, are all animals that are whales, dolphins and porpoises. So we, record, we, we, we maintain, if you like, the stranding scheme. So for the last 30 years, we've been uh, attending to both animals that are dead and washed up where we record sort of biological features like we confirm species and take measurements. Uh, and most most strandings are of actually dead animals that wash up on our beaches. You know, they die at sea for whatever reason, and they wash up on our beaches. And occasionally, these animals strand, and uh, they, you know, they're they're still alive, but they're they're, uh, you know, uh, the prognosis is is especially when they're single animals and they wash up like this. The prognosis is generally quite poor. So we have, you know, a lot of evidence to suggest that, irrespective as to how we 
sort of handle these animals on the beach or whether we put them back into the water, that the outcome is not going to be a good one. Uh, and, you know, that that's something people don't necessarily like to hear. They like to think that when they've, you know, put an animal back into the water that it's just going to swim off into the sunset and everything is hunky-dory. That's kind of a... Uh, a Walt Disney, when, when, yeah. you know, uh, sort of a fa- fairy tale story. But we just know from bitter experience that in, in most of the, the, these incidents, even even when good work is done on the beach, and you've got you know the rescue services like the ORNLI or the Coast Guard or local volunteers or IWDG members, you know, spend hours working on these animals. That more often than not. Uh, that these uh, that this is rarely a good day in the office. The animals do expire anyway, and that's based on thirty years of experience. Uh, there are, of course, exceptions to that rule. You know, there. You know, once in a blue moon, uh, we 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 document an animal that has been refloated, and we might see that animal swimming freely. You know, six months or a year or even years later. But those scenarios are really very few and far between. But it's understandable, isn't it? Because it's distressing for members of the public to see these beautiful, beautiful creatures appearing to be distressed in in low water and coming on a low tide. Absolutely, it's distressing for us all. No matter you, no matter how many years you spend working with these animals, when you see a magnificent marine mammal uh, like a, this was a common dolphin wa- washed up and stressed, uh, it. You know, as I said, it, from the outset, it, it's rarely a good day in the office, and it is it is stressful for everybody. But it's also stressful for the animal because the animal is completely out of its natural environment. And our concern is that by you know we we it happens all the time when dolphins are in the water, and literally people spend all day dragging and lifting and hauling and yawn, throwing the animal back into the water. And every time a new group does it and they go away, good job done, the dolphin comes back in again and a fresh group of people come and do the same thing. And all day long, this poor animal has just been thrown back into the water by umpteen groups of people. It, it is There is the potential to just continually stress the animal and stress it out even more. So, so our, our sort of... Um, Based on a lot of experience, we, you know, when these situations arise, we would more often than not uh, end up calling a vet and just having the animal euthanized, you know, ending its suffering. The kindest, the kindest thing to do in in many cases, because we know there's reports that this uh, this particular dolphin had a damaged tail and it had one eye permanently uh, closed. Uh, Do you think it was an old dolphin or it is an old dolphin? Oh, well, we have no way of knowing. You can't, you can't age these animals. The, the injury to its eye would suggest to us that this dolphin that stranded in Cormacherry two days ago and then yesterday turned up in front of the, you know, the, 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 the garage or the shop there in Timaleek, what probably happened was that animal was high and dry overnight on the mudflat and simply the, the hooded crows or the black backed gulls came and pecked its eye out. Oh, while it was still alive. And, Yeah, I know. That's, this is wildlife in the raw and this is a you know as a species we become very um sort of uh, disengaged from wildlife but this happens every day this happens all the time animals predating uh and you know they don't cook cook them in the wild before they eat them they eat them alive and that's how nature is you know oh so your advice then to the general public if they do come across a, a dolphin in a similar situation yeah, the advice is always to report your, your, your either sightings or strandings to the Irish Whale and Dolphin Group. I mean, we've been doing this for a long time. Uh, um, you know, the monitoring scheme, which, 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 uh, 
which reports sightings and strandings has been in existence since 1990. So we've got an awful lot of data, we've got an awful lot of experience, and we've got a really good network. So for members of the public who may not be as familiar or maybe getting new into the whole citizen science and the, the marine recording, uh, you know, look up the Irish Whale and Dolphin Group and report any sightings or strandings. The earlier we can get to these animals, obviously, uh, the better able we are to assess the situation. And ultimately, a decision to euthanize an animal will always be taken by a vet. Uh, you know, we're not qualified. We're not pathologists. Uh, uh, so, but we have a lot of experience from the ecological side of things where we can offer guidance and advice to vets on the ground. Uh, but obviously that decision will always be taken by a veterinarian. Okay, you do you do incredible work. And I, and I have to share with you, during the summer, I had a, a staycation uh, around Scotland in, in West Cork. And one of the afternoons we went out on the Baltimore Sea Safari and we were really blessed and lucky that a, a pod of dolphins came up really close by the boat. And it, they are such majestic man, mammals. They really are beautiful to be that close to and to see them playing and interacting with each other. Absolutely fantastic. And that probably was with Mehal Cotter. It was, there, it was. The wonderful Mehal. Absolutely incre- incredible trips uh, out in his ribs. And, and they, the dolphins you saw out of Skull or of Baltimore uh, during the summer would have been short beak common dolphins. Would have been the same species that this dolphin was in Tim League. Uh, hopefully it wasn't, it, it wasn't one of them. But uh, as the farmer said to me, Years ago, when you know when you've got livestock, you've got dead stock. So it's a similar situation when you have plenty of healthy dolphins out at sea. We can always expect the percentage of those to wash up on our beach or to strand, and that looks like it's one of these situations. It's all part of the circle of life. Always a pleasure to speak with you, uh, Podrick. Thank you for that, and thanks for joining us. Okay, bye-bye. Good morning to you. That is uh, Podrick Welly of the Irish Whale and Dolphin Group. And well done to everybody who got involved yesterday and indeed the previous day trying to save that uh, poor little dolphin. And actually there's great pictures in all of the papers of the Corp Mac Sherry Aaron Ally uh, coming to the rescue. 1850 Remember yesterday we had Dara Cassidy on from bonkers.ie and he was just chatting to us about electricity and the rising costs of energy energy and as always whenever Dara is on he gives suggestions on how we can all save money and one of the main ways we can save money particularly on electricity and gas is by switching providers and the whole idea is is put a bit of work into it and you will save yourself some money and this year it is more important than ever because we know that electricity prices are rising and we're being told for the average family it could be anything between 300 and 500 euro extra is what the cost is going to be across next year and that bill that comes in early in the new year the one that tides you over Christmas everyone is going to notice that that bill is going to be a bit of a whopper of a bill if you're in the habit of putting away a little bit for your energy for your electricity I'd be putting a little bit extra away across December and January but inevitably when we have Dara on it'll always prompt some of our listeners to say going to have check out that Dara's website bonkers.ie and see if I can change my energy provider and many people do it for the very first time and certainly with electricity it is it's very very easy to do I know 
people are encouraged to change things like mortgages but that seems just such a complicated and a difficult thing to do but to change things like your energy provider or your phone uh, provider or your health insurance it's just put the bit of the research in find the best offer and then off you go and you can save yourself money when Alan in Tallow has messaged me this morning to say Patricia I signed up to bonkers.ie having listened to your interview Um, I got a call from my present supplier yesterday and they have given me €240 credit on my meter to stay with them. Thank you so much for making us aware of bonkers. We're now trying to change car and house insurance providers to see if we can make a saving as well. Keep us informed, Alan, and good to know. And there's €240 in Alan's meter that he wouldn't have had if he just stayed with his provider. He's still going to stay with his provider, but he's made himself a saving. Go you, uh, Alan. Bernie's taking your calls at 1850-333-103. You can text her WhatsApp to 0862-103-103. Stephen Mallow was on about the Primetime Investigates programme the other night on the retention of organs and then subsequently they were sent away to be incinerated in out of the country and the parents knew nothing about it. It was just such an upsetting programme to watch. Steve reckons that the authorities at CUMH should be made accountable for the actions of the hospital in retaining the organs and then destroying them the way they did. It shouldn't just be a slap on the wrist. Well, I know that there is an investigation underway at Cork University Maternity Hospital to find out why those baby organs were incinerated abroad without the consent or without the knowledge of the bereaved parents. So let's wait and see what comes out from that investigation, uh, Stephen. And then Margaret and Kiskane was on to us to say it frustrates her to see that the disabled parking spaces at Tesco in Mallow are being used used by ordinary drivers who don't have the blue disabled parking badge on their car. She also has noticed that at the underground car park at Duns in Mallow are other people noticing that as well and it's particularly frustrating Margaret if you arrive up and you have one I, I don't know if you were in the same boat that you have one of the disabled parking stick- stickers. Very frustrating if you arrive up there and the space is gone. Whatever about the space being gone when it's genuinely taken by somebody who is entitled to it but when it's taken to discover that the person doesn't have a disability very, very uh, frustrating. And Helena McCroom has been on. I don't know if anybody can help Helen or not. She has a little nephew who is special needs. And there are a particular type of soft toy that he likes. They're of cartoon, these, any of the old cartoon characters. Now, they have been able to get these particular soft toys from a company in England but because of Brexit there's now a problem in having these particular toys shipped to Ireland. So Helen and McCroom got on to us wondering does anybody know of anyone who actually makes soft toys? Now she says the material is called plush. It's kind of I, I looked at it online to see what it was. It's like a very soft material t- the kind of typical material you'd see in a teddy bear but she needs somebody who actually makes toys and then she can let the person know the actual cartoon character that her nephew is looking for so it's a little bit of a long shot I don't know if anybody makes teddy bears or not and it's not just teddy bears they have to be cartoon characters uh, if anybody if anybody knows of somebody who does that kind of work uh, we have Helena McCroom we have her contact number we'll put you in contact and you can make the discussions and work out what needs to be done and around costs and all of that as I say a bit of a long shot but who knows
somebody me know somebody who makes soft toys 1850-333-103 Bernie's taking your calls you can text her WhatsApp to 0862-103-103 Cork today on C103 Call Patricia with your comment 1850-333-103 Now this week the Minister for the Environment Eamon Ryan said he cannot rule out electricity blackouts this winter as the country grapples with tight supply issues. So, is it time to draw a halt to data centres, which have been identified as one of the primary factors behind the growing demand for electricity in this country? Wicklow Social Democrat TD Deputy Jennifer Whitmore joins me on this issue. Good morning to you, Jennifer. Good morning. And you're welcome to the programme. Now, your party called for a moratorium on any more of these new uh, data centres this week. I suppose, can you explain to listeners what these data centres are and how many more do you believe are in the pipeline for Ireland? So data centres are are essentially big storage units where our data is collected and stored by the likes of Amazon or Google. Um, And in Ireland, we have an awful lot of them. Um, They're really, really energy hungry. They're quite water intensive as well and have a very large footprint. Um, And in Ireland, at the moment, we have approximately 70 data centres across the country. And the amount of energy that used is uh, equate to 11% of our electricity uh, usage. So they they actually play a, a very large part of the demand on our electricity at the moment. The difficulty with them is that there seems to be an uncontrolled growth in these data centres and they're popping up all over the country. And Airgrid has predicted that we could actually have uh, 30% of our electricity demand could be for data centres by 2030. But if all the data centre applications that are sort of currently in the pipeline, if they're approved, it could be as high as 70% of our electricity uh, demand. That's incredible. And and when when they're built and, and they come into an area, I mean, obviously, there will be employment on the actual building of them but then when they're up and running they don't employ they're not a huge employer in an area No and I think that's the thing when we talk about data centres people think uh, you know that they're very high tech and that there are big job creators. And really, that's the picture that government is selling of them as well. Government are talking about how important they are for our tech industry and for Brand Ireland. But when I actually asked the Department of Enterprise and the Taunashtas office, well, exactly how many jobs do they create? They told me, well, we don't collect those figures, but we estimate that it's around 30 to 50 permanent jobs per data centre. So that's a very, very low number. And actually, when we're talking about job creation for data centres, it is primarily in the area construction. Uh, That's really where the job creation is, but they will be very temporary positions. Yeah, and actually, when I was looking into the data centres during the week, because I was wondering, is this a problem right across Europe? It seems Dublin is the data centre hub of uh, Europe and was home to 25% of the entire data centre market for for 2018. And just if you think about one data centre will use the same amount of energy as a town the size of Kilkenny. So they really do drain from the national grid. Oh, they really do. I mean, over the last four years, the growth in data centres in Ireland uh, alone accounts for the equivalent of 560,000 households. Right, so that's a third of the stock, the housing stock we have in Ireland at the moment. So it is a really, really big issue. And that's why the Social Democrats called for the moratorium, because what we wanted the government to do is really just press pause on the data data centres until the government has 
an understanding of the impact that they could have on our energy security, on our energy prices, on our ability to meet our climate targets. I mean, we have these targets that we need to meet by 2030. And I think the government to date really hasn't grasped uh, or managed the growth of these data centres. And we wanted them just to put a pause on that until they could actually handle it. And it's not unusual. I mean, you're talking about sort of globally and and how many data centres other countries have. In other countries where they've seen growth in data centres and they've also been concerned, they have brought in moratoriums themselves. So Singapore has a moratorium on them. The Netherlands had a moratorium on them. So it's not an unusual measure because the growth in data centres is really unprecedented. And there is a risk that if we don't control and manage it now, that we could really be left uh, with huge impacts down the road. Yeah, I was reading up about Singapore um, and they brought in their moratorium. It was it was about uh, two years ago and they say that the only way the moratorium will be lifted is when renewable energy capacity and our data storage technologies uh, develop enough to reduce the emissions and energy burden that they represent themselves. So they very much pushed it back on the data centres and said there's a moratorium. If you want it lifted, you've got to sort out your own uh, energy and emissions. And I thought that was a very clever move on behalf of uh, Singapore. But outside then of the data centre usage, why are we under such a threat of electricity shortage? We're told across the next five winters, Jennifer. Well, yeah, so so Airgrid have identified that we could have shortages over the next five winters. To be honest, the primary reason is the growth in data centres. Airgrid have identified it as as the primary increase of energy demand. In fact, the majority of other areas have pretty much remained flat within the economy. And uh, Airgrid had mentioned that the growth in data centres was quite unusual, the rapid growth. So the the primary reason that we could see constriction on the grid is the uh, large demand that we're seeing for data centres. And we're now at the point where not only could we risk blackouts and and energy price uh, rises, but we're also going to have to bring back online oil and gas-fired electricity uh, generation, which is just a ridiculous situation. You know, I had to stand in the door this week and argue with a Green Minister uh, for, for Climate and Energy, I had to argue with him to pause the data centres because of the impact it could have on our climate obligations and the emissions uh, that we're releasing. And, and he refused to uh, to actually listen to what we're saying and to engage with us on it um, and, and actually, you know, put that pause in place. And it's to have to make that argument to a Green Minister. Um, so, and, and what happened with your call for moratorium, Jennifer? So, so uh, both the Minister and, and, and the government uh, TDs essentially, uh, they said it was too, too blunt an instrument. Um, now, I think that it was the most responsible uh, policy uh, instrument that we could be using, you know, to just put a pause on it. It's not a blunt instrument. It was just a delay until the government has their house in order. But they, they didn't agree with it. Minister Ryan said, look, it, we will ensure that uh, data centres are, are included in our, uh, I suppose, the emissions pie that we will al- allow um, over the next 10 years. But the difficulty with that is that if you have data centres using up a huge amount of energy um, and being responsible for a lot of emissions, 
what that means is that everyone else is going to have to carry the burden of making the reductions in their emissions. So you're looking at individuals. You know, there will be a greater burden placed on individual households to make the changes required to meet our climate targets. You know, there will be a greater burden placed on, you know, perhaps the farming community. You know, and I know this is an issue that my colleague Holly Cairns is really concerned about is, is you know, we, we can set our targets, but it, we must be meeting them fairly. And it won't be fair if data centres are allowed to gobble up a huge amount of our energy, be responsible for a huge amount of our emissions, and then everyone else has to carry the can for them. Listener wants to know, does Jennifer feel the government are afraid of upsetting the likes of Google and Facebook and that's why they're allowing so many of these data centres? Look at that. I do think that the government does tend to prioritise and favour large corporations when it comes to matters like this. And I do think they prioritise them over the needs of the communities. And that is a, a, a big issue. Um, you know, they really put, uh, I suppose, the, the needs of the data centres uh, at, the, at the forefront rather than actually looking at the impact of individuals. Like many of your listeners you know, this winter we'll be facing energy uh, and fuel price rises of, uh, you know, we could be talking 500 euro mm. over over this winter. I mean, that is a huge price hike for people. And it could have been avoided, I believe, if the government had actually managed the demand that was data centres. And I think, you know, look, they, they haven't managed it to date, but it is really unacceptable that they refuse at this point to put a halt on what they're doing and actually really understand and, and put in measures to ensure that, that it doesn't happen. OK, and finally, a number of listeners have pointed this out whenever we talk about the possibility of there being blackouts. We are being encouraged, particularly by this government, to move to electric cars. Anyone with an electric car must be uh, sitting there very nervous about the idea of a power outage. Yeah, look, I mean, we're all we're all so dependent on electricity. You know, when we're talking about blackouts, it's, it's households, it's schools, it's businesses. Yeah. You know, so it, it could have a huge um, impact on our, on our communities and our, on our business community. And for the government to not proactively manage this is completely unacceptable. Um, and not only are they not managing it, but they're prioritising and they're actually benefiting data centres over the, over the needs of communities. And I really do think that that, that, that is a very concerning uh, you know, move and, and, and position that they're taking. OK, we leave it there. Um, Jennifer, thank you for that and thanks for joining us on the programme. Thank you very much. Good morning to you. That is Wicklow Social Democrat uh, TD uh, Deputy Jennifer uh, Whitmore. And it is a worry and a concern, these, this threat of blackouts, because it's not just for this winter. Whatever about people thinking, oh, there'll be one winter where we may have blackouts. But they're talking about that it could be for the next five years. 1850 And Councillor Frank Roach from North Cork has just been on. He wants to thank everybody who took part in the slow truck drive, which happened yesterday. It's actually, actually it was run this time yesterday. We were talking about it when we were on uh, air. He says the Gardaí cooperated fully with the organisers and he's he's giving a thanks to us here for the coverage. That was uh, um, our pleasure. They also have a bus going to the Dáil next Tuesday. It'll leave Kildallery at 9am in the morning if anybody wants to go. They want to bring the issue of the mallow Mitchestown Road and the need for repairs on that road. They want to bring their protest to Dublin. If anybody wants to go to Dublin on that bus, you can contact Frank at 086 
It's adapting to it and if you don't have a supportive family and some people we know for whatever reason don't have don't a have family that. yeah, and they're left and that's where that's where you guys uh, come in. It's, uh, it really is um, uh, uh, terrific. Now, and what about funding then? How is ONE funded, Dermot? Okay, we, we've, for the hostel in Cove we've invested nearly half a million euros in that building. We've had access to funds from the Dormant Funds account. We get money from the Department of Defence. We get some from central government. And we're hoping Cork County Council are going to give us additional funding for the hostel in Cove. 
But our main fundraising source would be the Fuchsia Collection, which is on this week all over the country. We had a, a military band recital in Cork City yesterday how did, we were collecting. How did that go? Very good. Was it great? Well, well received and people were delighted to see us out there. We brought a bit of light back into the city centre. And again, not everybody may be aware of this. The fuchsia is your symbol. A little yes. bit like uh, in the UK, they use the poppy. So yes. the, the fuchsia is the is the kind of the Irish poppy of sorts. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Be- because we, in England, they sell the poppy and that's where the money goes. It, it, it goes to veterans, doesn't it? Veterans. It goes to veterans yeah. to support the British Legion. And oh, it's hugely years ahead of us. Yeah, and it's huge. It 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 makes huge sums of money every year. Yes, and we're for whatever reason we're behind on that. Yes, and we we we're, we're encouraging. Like we we would ask that all politicians wear the fuchsia pin this week. I don't know whether they are or not, but we're asking anywhere we go, we're giving out the fuchsia pins and let people to get it out there to say this is our symbol. Please support our Defence Forces veterans. And, and are they on sale locally, Dermot? Yes, we, yeah. we have them on sale. We have different... I'm actually up in Kansas Barracks this morning where we're having a coffee morning organised by the Defence Forces. And this is going on in every barracks and post in the country this morning. Okay. okay. Where our serving people, personnel, are supporting the veterans. Okay, but your big day is Sunday. Have you anything planned for the opening on on next Sunday, Dermot? <laughs> I'll, I'll have relief when this opens. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I've been burning the the candle now with both ends for the last week. It's tough to going. Sure yeah, it's, everything goes according to plan. It's it's tough going. So you don't. There's not going to be a big fanfare then or anything, is it? Just get it open, says you get no, it open. No, no, no. It's it, 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 we we have a, an opening planned Great. for. On Sunday, we will have a naval guard of honour. We will have veterans from all over the country there. And, of course, the local people in Cove who have supported us time and time again. It will be opened by the Minister of Defence, Simon Coveney. Oh, brilliant. Brilliant. And we'll have the new Chief of Staff of the Defence Forces will be there, as will the flag officer of the Naval Service. So we will have a lot of dignitaries there as such but to show their support for the veterans who served. And of course, Cove has such a connection with the Naval Service, doesn't it? It does, it does. But it is the home of the Naval Service. Yeah. I'm ex-Navy. <laughs> I'm, I'm proud to live there. I'm, I'm actually a Mallowman originally. Oh, are I'm you? Long, okay. I'm, I'm longer in Cove than I was in Mallow this stage. And what, what is you? Are you Navy or are you... I'm Navy. Oh, you're I'm Navy. ex-Navy. Uh, I'm ex-Navy. Uh, how many years? I did 21 years. I served for 21. Out of Cove? Out of Cove. Did you go overseas? And I served on the seas, on not the seas. overseas. Okay. Now, I sailed under the UN flag twice and resupply missions to the Lebanon. But I, I never served in any of the overseas missions. Not for the want to try. But and my role in the Navy, I was classed as operational, as a pure electrician on the ship. Yeah, that was my job, not to go overseas. <laughs> and was it after twenty-one years? Is it very hard 
to leave that behind and adapt to uh, normal life is probably the wrong thing but you know what I mean civilian life is it difficult? It is it is is hard it is hard when I was serving say on the ships I had two families one on the ship and one at home and trying to juggle the two together when I came out of the service okay I was at home I probably caused upset at home because they were used to me being away and I think I'm back in the mix. I went into a, a factory when I retired. I couldn't settle. I couldn't set being in the one spot every day. Didn't suit me. I was used to having a different job. In the Navy, I was doing something different every day. Mm-hmm. It's someplace different. It was on the same ship, but there was something different happening all the time. So variety was there. I'm working now for a company in Dublin. I do maintenance for the Bank of Ireland. But I'm travelling around. And that suits you better. That suits me better. And suits the family, says you. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> and uh, but, but the 21 years with your your crewmates, mates, as you said, they were another family. And suddenly they're, yes. go- suddenly they're gone. You wake up one morning and they're gone. Yes, and that, that is a bit of a shock to realise but the O&E has, I have another family in the O&E now. Yeah, it's brilliant. I'm with people, I served with. And we're still interacting. I, I joined the Army Apprentice School in 1977, up in Nace, and then I came to the Navy. We had a reunion two years ago with my classmates from the Apprentice School. And it was like we were still in Nace. That's not brilliant. The crack just, the crack just carried on as if we had just walked out the gates of the barracks in Nace <laughs> and we went, came back in again. But it was just com- comrades yeah. getting together who had served so long together. There's something very special about it, for sure. So would you say to anybody listening who has been in whatever of the Defence Forces, you know, reach out. There is a, a camaraderie about all being together. Oh, there is, yeah. There mm. is, yeah. And to, to, to come into to, I'm asking our ex servicemen come into the ONE, mm. or if you need our services, you don't have to be in the ONE, but we're there to help everyone. That's great. You're, you're a wonderful, wonderful uh, organisation, and, and we don't hear and see enough about you, which is which is a, a real shame. So I wish you well, but particularly with the selling of the fuchsia. If anybody spots those fuchsia, fuchsia badges on sale, uh, please buy them. But the really, yes. really best of luck with the opening of the centre in Cove, and let us know when the city one you're talking about for the St Luke's area for next year is yes, it? Yes, for yeah. next year. Yes. Let us know. And listen, uh, good luck uh, with your role as president of O and E. They've picked a fine president in. Indeed. Uh, enjoy the role and we'll chat again soon. That's great, Patricia. Thanks a million. Thanks very much. God bless. Yeah. Look after yourself. Bye bye. What a lovely man. That is Dermot Higgins, President uh, Designate, President from next Sunday of ONE, Ireland's only registered Defence Forces Veterans uh, Charity. We wish them all well. Bernie's taking your calls 1850 333 103. Text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103. Thank you to West Cork Councillor Joe Carroll, who's contacted us with a little bit of good news on a Friday. He said Irish Water has literally just announced. 
announced a new upgrade to the wastewater scheme for Ballinine Enniskeen. Now that certainly is fantastic news for the area because it will allow for more housing developments for people that want to build and want to live in that area. That certainly is a good news story. So thank you to Councillor Joe Carroll for that. We've been talking about the possibility of electricity outages, not just this winter, for the next five winters and allied to that, the fact that we're all paying more for our electricity bills. John O'Donovan in the city was on to say he's just after getting his electricity bill and it is €119.70 for the last two months. But when he dug down into his electricity bill, for just the electricity he used, the bill should be just €62.54. He said the rest is made up of standing charges, PSO levies and a VAT. So it's almost double Half of it is electricity costs and almost double has gone in the different charges. And John, while you're mulling over your bill and you're thinking that's bad, listen to this text that we had in from a listener to say, we have a shed that has a separate meter on it. It's a shed that they've wired up and they need electricity for whatever reason in the in the shed. But they're not using the shed at the moment, so none of the electricity is being used. But they've just got their bill in and there's the standing charge, the PSO levy and the VAT. And there's a low usage charge as well, isn't there, on those bills? The bill has come in at €64.65 and no electricity was used. Isn't that really galling? And the obvious question, do you need to have electricity into that shed anymore, I wonder? Because that seems absolutely crazy to be spending that kind of money every two months and not getting anything back for it in that the electricity isn't being used. That is frustrating for sure. And somebody has a suggestion to the listener who contacted us about her nephew, Helena McCroom, who is looking as a special needs nephew who likes these particular soft toys made out of plush is the type of material that they're made from and they're having a problem now with Brexit and getting them into the country and postage and shipping and all of that. Uh, somebody's been on to say, Patricia, tell Helen to for the plush toys to go on to Amazon.de. That's the German version of uh, Amazon now. Obviously, listener says you need to translate the sl- site, but you just literally click on the German flag and put it onto an Irish flag uh, in the search bar and uh, then it'll all come up in English uh, for you. Because this listener says she's been on that website and they do have those plush toys that Helen is talking about. This listener has bought items. They're on the way from the Amazon German company. It, it obviously takes a little bit longer. Delivery takes about a week. Actually, yeah, I used it for something that I was trying to buy that I couldn't access locally. It was an item for Marsha. That's the one thing that shopping online is fantastic if you're looking for very unusual pieces, particularly for special needs uh, kids. It's one of the things I buy. I because I do I'm a big advocate of shopping locally and I'm always telling people if you can get something locally then buy it locally but there are times when obviously uh, you can't and I was always with Amazon.co.uk but then some things they still will ship but when they, you when you add in all the additional charges it works out quite expensive and there was one large item that I was buying and it was coming out at a crazy price and I was thinking nah this is ridiculous and somebody a family member had said to me have you tried the German Amazon I said God have a no so I did exactly what that listener said I went to the German Amazon.ee DE, all in German, going, how am I going to do this? Clicked on the Irish flag, everything came up in English and I got the item and I think I saved about €300 Euro 
It was, it was crazy. So yeah, that is well worth. But yes, you don't get it as quickly as you would have got it if you were buying from Amazon.co.uk. When are we going to have Amazon in Ireland? Hopefully sooner rather than uh, later. Now, other thoughts coming into us staying on electricity and property tax and all of that and bills. Hi Patricia, this property tax with property tax coming in and now electricity going up. Where do the government think people are going to get all the money to pay all of these hiked up bills? It's, in, it's all about money in this world. Uh, it is now time for the government to say stop and think about all of these additional hikes. People are struggling so much at the moment. And Heidi says, morning Patricia, you were talking about the data centres in the last hour with the SOC Dems. What about and all the electricity that, that they use? I think it might be better for our government to start really upping our wind farms, our look at wave power hydro energy that we spoke about yesterday actually. If these data centres are taking so much power, what's going to happen when everybody switches to electric cars? They too will have to take power from the grid. So is it not better now to sort out and start producing the electricity that we will need uh, says uh, Heidi. Well everyone has said that wind is going to be the great saviour but then of course we discovered we didn't have a very windy year this year. Who knew? And that's because most of our wind is generated on land. Nobody likes to live near those wind turbines. And what we need to do, we need to go off uh, shore. And everybody says that this this is the way to go. But wind generated electricity, when it's going to be really crucial in about a decade's time. Because the problem is, is getting the turbines installed at sea where the strongest and most consistent winds are that simply is taking time. I was reading during the week that it's unlikely that we'll see offshore wind contributing significantly in this country until at least 2028. I can't find anything about hydropower and why when we're, we're an island, we have waves all of the time crashing against our shores. And I don't know why, and maybe it is being looked at, I just couldn't find anything that has been looked at for that. But there are. we need to be looking, at, uh, certainly for sure, we need to be looking at uh, other uh, solutions. And of course, one of the big problems at the moment and the reason that there could be power outages this week is that two of our larger plants that generate electricity in this country now both of them are are run on on gas they suffered major technical failures and the the, but they're due to come back on stream within the coming months I think Uh, but yeah but we certainly have we have problems and we do need to be looking at the alternatives but they all just seem to take such a long long time and then in the midst of all of that we discovered that Dublin is the data centre hub of Europe we're home to Dublin alone is home to 25% of the entire data centre market in Europe and it's taking so much energy from the grid. So, you know, I could see why the Social Democrats were, were saying, look, we need to have some kind of a moratorium. 1850 Bernie is taking your calls. And just to let you know the cost of COVID when we're talking about the government and what the government needs to do. A uh, big problem for the government is we don't have a lot of money at the moment and we owe a lot more. The total cost to the state for the first year of the COVID, this is only for one year of the pandemic, has come in at $17.1 billion. This is the latest report out from the Controller and Auditor General. It was released, or uh, it's going to be released uh, today. Now, the breakdown of it, uh, the $17.1 billion, $11 billion 
this is the obvious one, was spent by the Department of Social uh, Protection. Now, that's just from one year. That was from the end of February last year to the end of February this year. Six billion of that went on the pandemic unemployment payment, the PUP uh, payment, and the PUP amounts to more than one third of the state spending throughout the first year of the pandemic. Now, nobody would take from, we had to have that payment put in place, you know, jobs suddenly overnight stopped. People had to get money every week in order to put food on the table and to pay the bills. So everybody accepted that the pandemic payment had to be put in uh, place. And at the peak of it, which would have been April to May of last year, almost 600,000 people were in receipt of the PUP payment. But what I was very disappointed from the Controller and Auditor General's report was they found that close to one in 10 claimants were not actually eligible for that payment at all. More than half of all of the 1.75 million claims were made in the first five weeks when the scheme uh, opened. The report says that 329 claims of former workers examined, they just took a test sample, showed that nearly 10% showed evidence that the claimant wasn't entitled to the payment on the week that they had claimed it. In just under half of the cases, the available evidence showed that the claim was actually working when they were claiming the PUP payment. In another quarter of the cases, there was no evidence that the claimant had actually been working before the pandemic and they just applied for it and got the payment anyway. And then there was another 25% of cases where they discovered that the applicant had been rightly claiming the PUP payment, but then there was evidence that they went back to work and that they didn't inform the department and they kept drawing down on it. So it's shocking to think that 10% of that it looked like 10% of that 6 billion should never have been uh, paid out. Anyway, the controller or Auditor General, it goes down through all of the different ways money was spent during the first year. Obviously, 2.7 billion went to the temporary wage subsidy that went to the employers. Another 2.1 went to the employment wage subsidy. 88 million was spent on illness benefit. 48 million was spent on, on rent supplements, fuel allowance. There was 36 million paid there. And then after the Department of Social Protection, the Department of Health's expenditure for dealing with uh, COVID, 2.7 billion, their largest spend, almost a billion, went on uh, PPE, PPE gear and 600 million went to supports for hospitals and for nursing homes. And as I say, that's just for one year. They're expecting the total when you add in this year. This year would have been less. It'll be about 13 billion. So about 30 billion in total, they reckon, is what's going to the government have spent on the pandemic. And that's money, obviously, that eventually is going to have to be paid back. 1850-333-103. Bernie's taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp 0862-103-103. C103 Jobs. Vacancies are available for healthcare assistance. That's at Skibbereen Residential Care Centre. Call 028-23617. Experienced waiting staff wanted in Bottevant. You send your CVs to Emma at the Wild Time at Outlook.ie. Production operators wanted for Firebirds. They're in Ballymacreera in McCroom. You send your CV to info at Firebird.ie. And Country Clean Recycling. They're recruiting for collection crew to work from their depot in North Cork and in Cork City. Opportunities also to qualify as a driver. CVs to john at countryclean.ie. If you would like more information and more job details, then can you go to c103.ie 
forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. You're- it's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Cork Today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. It was announced this week that the first cannabis-based product will be available in Ireland from mid-October through the Medical Cannabis Access Programme. To discuss the significance of this announcement, I'm joined by Dalmanway Yvonne Cahalan, who was the trailblazer by gaining the first licence for medical cannabis in 2016 for her son, Tristan. Good morning to you, Yvonne. Morning, Patricia. How are you? I, I'm very well. And I, when I was doing a bit of research last night, when I knew you were coming on to the programme today, I, I was, my goodness, it was 2016. It seems like only uh, like last year, like it's uh, five, nearly six years ago. Yeah, long ago. Yeah, hard to believe. Hard to believe. Now it's just one product called uh, Canapel that'll be available from mid this month. Um, can you talk to me about that and the significance of this and do many people access that product? No, and that, that that's one of one of the bothers. So they actually have um Tilray, Aurora and Canapel that um are approved for it, but Canapel seems to be the only one that's going to be available first. Um between, you know, companies feeling that the market is too small um to actually provide the product or or p- patients not familiar with the product or doctors not familiar with, with using the product. Either way, for some reason, there's only one that's actually um, going to be available from October. Uh, is, is it of any use to you, to you for Tristan, for example? No, not at all. No, not at all. And to be fair to the health department, you know, they have tried every avenue to try and make it available in Ireland, but it's just, you know, I've explained this, this before, Dutch law, they don't allow for export like that. Um, this needs to be a different solution. This needs to be something where it's available here. Um, otherwise, it's going to be um, not a very cost-effective method of trying to continue 
to courier it over and that that prevents uh, presents its own problems gdpr problems um and and high cost it's just not sustainable for it to continue in that way so just to explain to listeners you you're still getting tristan's medical cannabis from holland are you we are so how do you get it at the moment with, the, I mean, obviously there's a travel ban because at once, uh, I know we often spoke to you, you used to go out a couple of times a year, fly to the Netherlands, get the prescription and fly back. But obviously the pandemic stopped that. Yes, yes. And, and thankfully they did uh, find an alternative where they were able to collect the prescription for patients. Um, so essentially every patient that has a licence that, uh, that their medication is getting collected in that fashion, they would get a notification. They would agree to to have it be collected. There's a whole paper trail of uh, prescriptions and and getting things sent to the health department and the, the Netherlands, and um, and then there's a courier service that picks it up. We've we've had concerns as far as GDPR and things like that, as far as how many hands is, is this prescription passing through. I know the doctors have concerns. Where is all this information going to? Who's holding all this information? Um, and then eventually, um, like they are, they are pretty quick. They have a date um, where they pick it up and usually receive it the following day. Um, and... Um, yeah, they're, they're like these couriers, they, they're literally travelling the country, dropping dropping medicine off at people's door. So that's what we're currently doing. Um, again, not sustainable. There are laws as far as how how much medical cannabis they can bring back at any one time, which means either patients are restricted in numbers as far as how many they can collect for, or the couriers will have to do more. And there, there's a specific type of courier that can collect this type of medication. And so. do, you, do you have to pay for the courier? No. no. All of this is, is uh, the, the HSC is, again, additional paperwork for the HSC and additional costs for the HSC. And you, you, we could get around all of that if... If we were able to get Fedrican available within Ireland. Now, in saying that, um, from, you know, years of being involved with Bedgren, being first patient to bring it to Ireland, I have received full clinical research and business support from Bedgren to assist that happening in Ireland. So, you know, continuing to work with the doctors, continuing to, continuing to have those meetings and that dialogue with, with HIPRA and the HSE to to try and bring this about. Um, so we've just been keeping the head down and trying to trying to make sure that we get that over the line. And would you have any idea how many people are, are on that particular brand? Um, okay, so that, that, that's a, a question. Let's say for the licences, there's, there's apparently about a 67 patients. Um, I was led to believe there was around 80. Um, but as as patients that could be accessing it themselves, I was given a number between two and three hundred um, who would travel themselves with their prescription that may not have a license. And I think because because this is the, the product patients are familiar with, doctors are prescribing this more than more than any other medical cannabis product. Um, I think there's one other patient that 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 has a, a product potentially in in, in in Spain or Portugal. Um, 
this this is the product that, that they are seeking. So they're either going to get it themselves if they can't get their license, um, which means that they are putting themselves at risk coming back mm. without a license, or people are being pushed to get their medical cannabis illegally because there is unwillingness to prescribe. Good, like it, as I, as I started saying, I can't believe it's it's it's. We've been chatting to you this long, and that you got the license in 2016, and it still seems the procedure still seems as tricky and as complicated as it ever was. There's been like it's not the most ideal. It, it's a great start. It's not the most ideal, but it's a great start. Um, this this system. The trouble is, we've there's been so many things that have come up between COVID that slowed things down, and then the cyber attack that slowed things down. Um, you know, all, all the resources and all the efforts went into COVID. And um, so this this was left. Well, look, you know, the patients that are there are receiving their medicine. There, there's reimbursement. Unfortunately, the reimbursement is only happening for about 17 patients, so it's no different to to what was happening already. Um, but you know, it was like, and 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 understandably, COVID has been a global pandemic, so that took priority. But as far as um, you know, the obstacles that we have, it, it's exactly what I've been saying for years. We need we need doctors to be more. Uh, willing. It's not like there isn't research out there. There is. There's clinical trials out there. Um, I think their fear of THC through the MCAP gathering study or gathering information from that, it it means that they're doing this. They're 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 protected because there's there's a program for them to do this and and attain the information that they need um, to to know how to do. Um, I think one of the one of the benefits that I've gained from Bedrican is being able to offer all those experts from Europe, along with the experts that we've we've come in contact with in in Canada and the states, to be able to assist any doctors that needed um, that were new to prescribing that needed to know about a new condition and how to deal with that or. Mm-hmm. or Continued those things, yeah. Yeah, because you could give the real world evidence of of how it's been benefiting. Uh, Tristan, is epilepsy still the main condition that people are being prescribed cannabis for in this country? It is. It yes, is. it is. Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah. Okay, um, and, and and then of course the main question: How is Tristan doing? He's he's fine. He's <laughs> yeah, he's doing incredibly well. He's he's um he, he, there's no words. He he's He's just amazing. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't really say he wouldn't be here without medical cannabis. That's the end of the story. I mean, he just wouldn't. You know, it, it, our doctors have, have explained that, have, have insisted on that. And they know that he wouldn't be able to manage without his THC either. So, you know, where CBD is, is a very important compound for epilepsy in some patients, it's not, it's not the be all and end all patients may need that THC element in whatever dosing level that they they, they need it and it'll different different patients but um it, it can't be excluded and there is research of its benefit. And were lockdowns tough on him? I think yeah, Tristan lockdown was, was most difficult for Tristan. Yeah, he was asking for school. Um and he he loved his pictures on, on, on um 
on the wall. So he, he'd be calling for his teachers or if we drive past, he'd want to go on, on the slide in the school. Um, yeah. We kept him out for the whole time. He only started back this September. Um, and they've been absolutely awesome. And I mean, within the week, he settled back in straight away. So, um, yeah, his school is fantastic. He's got a great bunch of people there looking after him. And, um, yeah, it, it's funny. Actually, he has one one teacher where he he, he loves he loves every single one of them. He has one teacher that actually used to mind me, and mm. and now she's minding she's minding Tristan as well. So that's that's a lovely feature to have. And obviously, he would be. And I know I spoke with you last year about this. He would be at very high risk if he picked up COVID. He would. Yeah. And and we would we would get advice constantly from our doctor. So, you know, if there is if there is a case that um would be in close proximity he would just suggest you know keep him out anyway and mm. um so so yeah so he's he's out today he'll be back in monday um but you know again the school are, are fantastic um in in the unit they've not had any cases brilliant. or anything like brilliant. that so they've been brilliant and yeah. big brother oscar is doing well as always he's flying it oscar is is his birthday is tomorrow he's is he's, um, he's he's um He's doing uh, aeronautical engineering in UCC um, <laughs> starting tomorrow. So Oscar is our, our little genius. He's he's a neuroscience and he's done zoology and everything else like that. He wants to create something that will pick up all the plastic in the ocean and find a cure for his brother. So ah, he's, bless um, his little heart. Yeah, bless his little heart. He's, been, he's always been a, a lovely, two gorgeous little boys. And congratulations, by the way, you've reached the national finals of the Network Island Business Woman of the Year Awards. Talk to me about how that came about. Oh, jeepers. Um, you know what, Patricia, when I came back after all... Um, after everything between the diagnosis, um, fundraising, away for a year, come back, assist with the MCAP, assist other patients, I was burnt out and, you know, full of anxiety. And, you know, I suppose you wouldn't know it, but I, I, I was. And I, it was complete burnout. And I joined the network and it, it was a turning point. These, I'll get emotional now, but these, these women just, really surrounded me and you know they they encouraged me they supported me to get through all of that um yeah they've been amazing they they, they made sure that I recognized my own achievements and in entering the awards this year um you know they recognized my achievements as well both with introducing medical cannabis to Ireland and all my volunteer work and um yeah it's been an honour and I'm absolutely thrilled. Well done, yeah, because I know you initially won the Power Within category, which I thought was what a fantastic award to pick up um, with Network Ireland uh, in the West Cork branch. And then that led you on, was it, to the Nationals? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And when when is the overall final? It's uh, Friday the 8th in Waterford. So it's going to be... uh, you know, COVID compliant, there's only the finalists going to be there and it's going to be virtually um, for anybody that wants to attend. Um, they can just look up the Network Ireland West Cork Facebook page or, or platforms to to find a, the registration link to, to get a ticket. Um, but yeah, it'll, it'll be wonderful to actually meet um, some of the other finalists and um, 
Yeah, it, it, it's lovely. And Everybody to get out and meet real human beings, there's something, know, and get I'm dressed out. up. Go out, <laughs> out, yeah. Do the hair and the makeup. That's this. That's next Friday. It's this night week. This night week. Well, we'll keep our fingers crossed for you. It's always a pleasure to have you on the programme, Yvonne. Thank you for that and thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Good morning to you. That is the inspirational Yvonne Cahalan from uh, Domanway. 1850-333-103. Our lines are open. Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086-2103-103. Louise Kingston, who runs Inchidani Candles in Clonakilty, has identified a problem at training pitches that could be endangering small animals, especially hedgehogs. She just decided to do something about it and Louise joins me to explain more. Good morning to you, Louise. Good morning, Patricia. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Now, you were out walking near the GAA pitches in Ahamilla and tell me what you spotted. So, actually, there was a, a, there was a bunch of women that had gotten there before me. So, I must uh, give a shout out to a woman called Sylvia Hunt because she had actually found this hedgehog and she had asked, did I know anything about them? So, I said I didn't, um, but we went in and this hedgehog had, during the night, walked into the net at the back of the goalpost and it had turned on itself and then it couldn't get back out of the net at the back of the goalpost. So it had been there for the night and it was exhausted and it was dehydrated and it was completely caught up in the net so there was no way it could free itself. And of course the more it tried to free itself probably the more entangled it became. The worse it got, exactly. And of course, um, like... It, it, when you looked at it, it could have you could have made it very complicated because you couldn't make out which way it had walked into the net, the back or the front. But anyway, I got really lucky, I suppose, because um, Sylvia had gloves, but she had already called the animal welfare and the vet and everything. But this hedgehog needed releasing, so um, we went. I went to try and get it out, and I realised I was probably going at it from the wrong side. So then, when I went to it from the other side, it got out pretty easily, but it was exhausted and it was beautiful. I'd never ever been so close to a hedgehog ever, I'd never held one or anything. And it was the most beautiful little thing ever. It was a really, really beautiful little animal. So it got out, it was distressed, it was dehydrated, and I just as I put it into the hedge at the GA pitch, the um the the a woman showed up a, an amazing volunteer, I don't know her name, and she had a flea treatment for it. And then about five minutes later another woman showed up and that was the vet. I think her name is Martha. So I left the scene. Okay. But when I did leave, I was like, this is probably going on all over the country. Yeah, and uh, I'm glad you got a flea treatment because anyone that knows hedgehogs will know that they're, they're crawling in fleas. And if you've, I know. But, but hedgehogs are so important. If you, I'm telling you, if you can get hedgehogs, two hedgehogs to live in your garden, you won't have any problems with slugs or snails. They're really good to, to, keep, to keep them down. OK, so you, you then started to think, this is just one little hedgehog you've managed to save. How many more have died? Are other little wild animals? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I contact, I went back to the shop and I immediately contacted, I just sent an email to the local GEA to say, you know, this happened and maybe, because it would be an easy thing to pin up like at the end of training, just pin up the net yeah. they'd be able to go underneath the net. And like, they're slacking those nets so they'd be able to get underneath it. So I contacted the local GA and in fairness, this guy called Joe McCarthy, I don't know him, he got back to me immediately and was like, I didn't even know this was a thing. Okay. You know, I, I didn't know this could happen. But then I wrote to uh, like GAHQ and Croke Park or wherever. Go on, they, Louise! <laughs> and they got back to me though. Um, about three weeks later, they got back to me and this Lovely man, his name is Jimmy Darcy, was saying that the GAA are actually rolling out a Green Clubs initiative anyway. But again, they hadn't 
they had been unaware about the, this, that this could happen to hedgehogs. So um, they're going to include it, and it's a pilot project. They've already started with a few clubs. This man's name was Jimmy Darcy. Um, they've started with a few clubs, but by June, they're going to have the whole package, and they're going to send it to every GA club in the country, and it's about um, sustainability, really. It's, going, it's about um, water management, waste management, you know, what the GA can do for the wider community, because, like, there's a GA club at every crossroads in the country. Mm. So they'd be leaders in this. But part of what they're going to do is raise awareness to the issues of small wildlife that is so important and so gorgeous and so cute and how they will do something about the net. They'll endeavour to, you know, play their part and to be aware that and small animals can get stuck and it will be detrimental for them. And as you, you've pointed out, it's a simple enough solution just to, you know, assi- assign somebody at every the end of every training session for somebody just to go they, they don't have that many pitches but just tie up the nets tie up the net tie up the net that's it like even with a clothes peg you could have pinned up that net yeah so like and you know just make it somebody's at the end of training somebody's job and while you've in particular identified it with that GAA anybody it's soccer clubs you know soccer, anyone who has nets rugby, yeah any place tennis courts even yeah yeah, just just to make people um, uh, aware. So, so go you. Well, well done. Well, well oh, done. Thank you. Thank and, you. And come here. Tell us about. Um, I love Inchidani candles. I, I have to say, I didn't realise it was yourself. Your of course, I the our lovely Eileen Kingston, who does our Clonakilty report. You're Eileen's daughter. I am indeed. I knew the minute I saw Kingston, I said that's got to be a relation of Eileen's. I didn't realise Inchidani uh, candles was your good self. And I saw during the pandemic, you opened a shop. I I did. I did um, a lot, like I, I sort of, I suppose, began my business model. Again, a big shout out to the local enterprise office. They're brilliant to work with. And when I started my business, they gave me a lot of help. But I always wanted to be um, a wholesaler, you know, that I just would supply other shops. And actually today I'm going around Cork, visiting the shops that stock my stuff. My, my stuff. Um, I'm parked outside Silverbone and Van Meyer. Anyway, okay. Okay. I, I opened the shop. Um, because so many of the wholesalers were closed and they weren't reopening, and I had all the stock, and if I didn't, if I didn't sell it, I was just yeah. not going to make it. So I opened the shop. The people at Clan, as always, fantastic to support. There was a load of support online as well, and uh, then we had to close for five months. But then I kept it going, and now I've got a shop. Well done, well done. I mean, just I just saw a very brave thing to do in the middle of a pandemic to decide to to open a shop, and I, I assume during the well, the, the amount of people staycationing, and I was down in Clan during the summer. It was always busy whenever I was there. Did you, did you did you do well during the summer? I did, I did, and like Intadoni is really special to loads of people. Like you know, it's, I've always lived there, and like we had the old Intadoni Hotel, and and now we've got the beautiful new Intadoni Hotel, and you know, like so many people just grow up down there with a million memories, and just it's such it's so part of the fabric of all of our childhoods that if you know just. Having something special from Inchidani just really, you know, brings out a lot of, evokes a lot of memories and you can share a lot of memories by giving somebody something from Inchidani because we were all half rare down on that beach. <laughs> well, I know whenever I stay in the hotel, that's where I discovered your candles. That's where I always buy your candles. And they smell just gorgeous. Are they, are you making all of those yourself? Making them all myself. How did that all come about? Um, I suppose... It was, it was, I had worked in a gift shop in Clonakilty and people used to always ask, is there anything made locally? And, you know, you'd be like, well, there's chocolate, there's black pudding. But, you know, it was kind of hard to come up with something that was made locally. But I just thought, God, if I ever 
You know, it would be a, a great thing to make something. And this happened, that happened. I ended up coming home um, from living in the States for a while. And I decided to go for it. And again, the local enterprise office for anybody that's going to open a business, go and do the Start Your Own Business course with the local enterprise office. They're fantastic. In Clannacilty, they're absolutely fantastic. And they really put me on the right path. Yeah, and, and that's what you need when you when you're starting out like that because you you'll have all the great ideas and then but you need somebody to say no you can't do that this is the way you need to do it exactly it because yeah. you know you're you're very kind of tight on the budget that you'll have to start and you're very t- you know you're you just really need somebody to try and like focus you and I can't remember the name of the woman that did the four weeks it was up in Fern Hill we did the start your own business course for four weeks for four weeks and she was just brilliant I mean it came down to doing a day about how to pay that would you pay that would you not pay that and like it was, it kind of went very quickly from I wonder how much essential oil goes into a candle to <laughs> oh Jesus to that <laughs> uh, but like it was a huge learning curve but it, it really really sort of put it all in perspective so the local enterprise office if you are going to start a business your portal your portal portal they've got loads of resources and they're really really wonderful to deal with so that it came about because I had a bit of ambition I really wanted to be self-employed I could work from home and the local enterprise office gave me that final push to say you know you can I could probably do this and do you know something I really think with the pandemic like so many people are taking stock of their lives and thinking about what's important and so many people are talking about getting out of that rat race I've been two hours in the car commuting and then at a desk for seven hours and then two hours in the rat race and never seeing the kids and that there's a lot of people starting to say I have a passion for something could I turn that passion into a business and you can you can and you know what if you can't, the local enterprise office will kind of like refocus you that maybe you can do it in a different way. That's what I found anyway. Well, you're a great and ad I, for the local enterprise office. I'll give you that. And can I also say you've you've expanded to more than just candles? Oh, yeah, I've got um, I'm actually going to bring out a, a room spray just before Christmas. I'm in the middle of, of organising that. But I've got diffusers and I've got wax melts and I've got bath bombs and whatever. So you've got soap, you've got hand sanitizer, your body lotion. Thank you. Yeah. Yes, I do. Yeah. Yes, I forgot about that. Yeah, I do. And um, yeah, and so far, so good. And well done. People, well done. It's, it's people ter- are good to support. Listen, it's, it's terrific. It's a local business. It's what it's all about. We need to be supporting more of our local businesses because it keeps the money in the economy uh, as well. It was a joy to speak to you, Louise. And well done on uh, looking after the little hedgehogs and say hi to your gorgeous mum for us. I will indeed. Thank Take you care. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And it's the lovely Louise Kingston from Inchidani Candles. 1850-333-103. Bernie's taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp 0862-103-103. Here's a beautiful story. Love to hear these a random act of kindness done by a complete stranger. Marianne was on to us. Uh, she lives in Blackpool and she was she's thinking about her mother. Her mother is in her 80s. Now, Marianne says her mother rarely goes out shopping on her own. But yesterday, her mum got it into her head. She wanted to do a little bit of shopping in Aldi in Blackpool. So she, off she went all by herself. So she did, picked up her bits and pieces and she got to the checkout in Aldi to discover she hadn't brought her
her purse with her and she didn't have any money on her. Just as she got to the till and all the items obviously had been checked through, there was a lady standing in the queue behind her who stepped up and said, I'll pay for that. And now it was, it was only 14 euro, but it was still 14 uh, euro. Marianne says they don't have a clue who this woman is. They don't know what her name is, who she is. Uh, so hopefully somebody listening uh, and the, the lady is listening or somebody heard that story being relayed by somebody. So Marianne has just contacted us to say, will you put a shout out and just say a huge thank you to the lady. It was such a kind, kind thing to do for an elderly lady who obviously in a bit of a flap decided to go shopping but forgot to bring the purse with her and the fact that she was on her own. Nobody else to rely on to say, can you give me a loan of some money? That's I just, I absolutely adore when I hear stories like that and it sort of, it just shows you there are really good, kind people out there and obviously, you know, to the woman who paid the bill, 14 euro was probably nothing to her but to that elderly lady, it's not just made her day, her week, her month, it's probably made her year. So well done to whoever did that. Then somebody else has come in with a really kind offer as well. Remember at the start of the programme, I mentioned that Helen uh, from McCroom, wasn't it, was on to us to say she has a special needs nephew and they're trying to get these particular brand of soft toy that this little lad absolutely adores. And they're having problems now because of Brexit with shipping it in and all of that. And she was wondering would we know of anyone that makes them? They're called plush toys, plush being the type of material that's used to make these. They're like teddy bears, but they're uh, in cartoon action figures kind of thing. And uh, people were given suggestions. Somebody, for example, had suggested to go instead to Germany, to Amazon.de and go on the German route other than they may be able to get, get it that way. But Dee in Goline was on to us to say, Patricia, just to let you know, I'm heading to the UK in a month or two. I'd be more than happy um, to give your listener an address in the UK that she can post the items to. And then when I get over there, I'll pop them in my suitcase and I'll bring them back from me. Isn't that a really kind offer? Thank you, Dee. I'll, I'll, we'll make contact with the lady to see if she wants to, p- to pick you up on that offer. But that's a really nice, kind uh, gesture. Have a safe trip to the uh, UK. And of course, there is an, uh, the great advantage now of the UK going out of Brexit. The duty free is back. I had a family member who last week was heading over to the UK for a bit of a trip and was all excited to say that duty free. Do you remember when we used to all queue up to get our duty free and the cheaper cigarettes if you were smoking and the, the cheaper booze? That's back. So, D, if you want to have a few extra euro in your pocket as you head out, do uh, because you'll be able to get your duty free. Uh, Jim, was listening to our piece with uh, the lovely Louise from Inchidani Candles and her bit to try to save the hedgehogs and just trying to make people who are involved in GAA clubs aware to tie up the nets that hedgehogs and other, I was thinking of other small animals as well, can get caught up and tangled up in the nets. Jim says some small animals must have a fascination with pitches because foxes, says Jim, are coming into our local pitch doing their number twos there which isn't very nice with people having to play there. We've ended up having to put in a netted wire on the gates to keep the foxes out and that does appear to have uh, worked and that's wildlife doing what wildlife do best, Jim. Thanks a million for your uh, text. On Amazon.de that we mentioned, the German Amazon for people who are trying to avoid the charges that are now in place from Amazon.co.uk. Andrew says, Patricia, I actually used to live in Germany and I use Amazon.de all the time. It's the only way now. They have a much greater selection and I feel they've better prices 
plus the real advantage over the .co.uk one is there are no duty charges. I always use German websites whenever possible as shipping from UK sources is now becoming I feel an excuse for suppliers to charge whatever they want and the euro to pound sterling exchange rates makes it even more of an excuse I feel to up the price. Stick with the euro, stick with your EU businesses it says Andrew in Charleville who also says that's coming from somebody who is a Brit up the EU <laughs> says uh, Andrew thank you for that um, Andrew and this is to do with electricity blackouts. Patricia Warnings of electricity blackouts have been well flagged. We were told that Money Point coal burning and tarboard, which is oil fired, will have to be put back on stream. How will the Greens react to this? Experts are also telling us that oil consumption worldwide will increase in the next 20 years. It may decrease in the EU, but it's going to increase for the likes of China and India. That's from John. And just actually on where we're getting our electricity from, somebody was on to us, John in Carrick tool now he was saying electric Ireland but it isn't electric Ireland it's actually Airgrid he's talking about he said Airgrid are bringing a cable underseas from France and it's from a nuclear plant in France to supply electricity into this country Airgrid don't want power from solar panels or windmills or hydropower to go into the grid anymore they think they will get all they want from uh, France. Now, what you are talking about there is Airgrid's plan. What is it called? There's a name on it, the connector. There is a, the Celtic connector is what it's called. I'd actually completely forgotten about the Celtic connector. So when I saw John's text come in, I did a quick Google search to try to remind me of this Celtic connector. We first, or the Irish government first, spoke about the plans for that project. It was back in 2016, which is to hook the air grid up with its French counterpart on this Celtic connector. So that was back in 2016. But then I take you up to July of this year. July of this year, Airgrid actually submitted the planning application for this, the Celtic Interconnector Project, as it's called. It's going to cost €1 billion and it's a power line that will connect Ireland directly to uh, France. So the work is now underway and the idea is that it will, we we will carry 70% of our electricity. The Ireland are still planning on on doing 70% of our electricity from renewable sources by 2023. But this massive, big connector has been built. The connector will land at Claycastle Beach near Yall. Then it goes, an underground cable will run inland to the on the National Road, continue on local roads to the east and north of Middleton. It'll go to a converter station which is going to be built at a place called Ballia Dam. And then the final connection will be by underground cable from Ballia Dam to the substation on the National Grid, grid at Knock Raha. And the plan, as I say, this has been in the pipeline since uh, 2016. Now, I know, John, you're saying they're not going to go with wind or hydro. They will still have to because while we will get a lot of electricity from this French network through this underwater connection uh, and it's not expected to be completed. Initially, it was was 2026. I think they, I don't know if they're still on track for 2026, but it'll have the capacity to power 450,000 Homes, so just under half a million households will get their power. It won't be enough to power. 
the whole of Ireland but about half a million homes and I'm assuming they'll be all the homes here in the south and the promise is that when this connector is up and running and when all of the other renewable energies are up and running the government has always said that the price of electricity will start to come down for consumers now it's going to be a wait and a see but you are right that particular underground interconnector is is on the pipeline as I say the planning permission just went through in July of uh, this year the plan as far as I know is that building starts next year and then 2026 I think is when it's hoped that it will be up and running but it's costing a billion euro I know there was a question mark over the last time I remember reading or hearing anything about it would have been when Brexit happened in 2019 because there was a threat around over a potential energy crisis because of Brexit but the EU stepped in with a contribution of 550 million euro to the Celtic Interconnector project which is more than half the cost of it so we're getting half the cost from the EU but thank you for your Call John in uh, Carrick to him. Terence in Bohorb, we was on to say that the, the Duhallow Vintage Club are holding a, a run on Sunday week, the 10th of October. It's for cystic fibrosis and you're asked, please, if you're going along to register at Drum Tariff Hall from 10.30. All vintage owners are very welcome. Mark that in the diary, not this Sunday, Sunday week and uh, for cystic fibrosis, which is a terrific uh, charity. Good luck to everybody getting involved there. And then also we had a listener on to say, Patricia, are there any walk-in vaccination clinics this weekend at Carragoon in Mallow? Please, could you find out. Well I went online to the hsc.ie they're screening and vaccination and actually it's, it's fantastic, there's loads of information but it shows all of the different vaccination centres then you click on the particular vaccination centre so it's Mallow GAA, Carragoon and they are not doing walk-in clinics at the centre right now but what they say is you can register online to get an appointment so if you are looking for a vaccine for this weekend it is part I don't know well, I can guarantee you you'll get an appointment for this weekend but certainly if you go online they are still operating at, at Carragoon and there may actually be an appointment for this weekend and then James was on to say Patricia did you see that the old names are going out of fashion but James said I'm delighted to say that his own name of James isn't being deemed an old fashioned name uh, yet and this is a survey that's just out, an Irish survey that's just out from a group called My Name Tags and it's, they brought out this survey, it's to celebrate Grandparents Day which is happening on the 6th of October and they wanted to find out how many children are still being named after say parents or grandparents because you'll, you'll notice in families a name will run down through the family, you know, be it a Mary or a Patrick or whatever it is and there'll be, you know, all the generations back somebody would have carried on a family name. But it seems younger parents are very much moving away from the tradition of keeping the older names and Bridget is one of the names actually that's been spoken about and we only spoke about Bridget when when I was reviewing the book that Una O'Hagan and Colm Keane have, has, their newest book out is all about the life and times of St. Bridget and we spoke about the fact that probably up to 70s maybe you wouldn't have been in class without at least having one if not more somebody in the class called Bridget it was kind of after Mary it was one of the most popular names in Ireland but sadly over the years you don't hear many children today being called Bridget so the names that are kind of gone out of fashion I'm surprised to hear Michael 
is going out of fashion. So the Michaels are gone, the Marys, the John and the Bridgets and they're all on the way out. The 21st century choices of baby names, the ones that are proving most popular are the likes of Noah and Ava. And when you look at those two names, Noah and Ava, they were at one time very old-fashioned names. So it has a tendency... they have a tendency to come back in favour every now and again so I don't know whether the older Irish names will eventually come back so they they did a a survey just to see is anybody still giving the nod to granny and granddad or giving the nod maybe to mam and uh, dad and it's looking like it's not 75% of Irish parents feel that they're moving away from the traditional names even traditional names that maybe have been in families for many many years so Mary, Bridget, Maureen, Joan and Dolores, uh, they at one time were the most t- popular traditional female names. And for the boys, it was John, Michael, Patrick, Seamus and Padder. They were all the most traditional names. But now you would rarely see or hear any of the, them now. But what they have noticed is that for a lot of uh, parents who do you know, they still want to keep the uh, the tradition and the name alive. So what they're doing is they'll put it in as a second name. So like the Noah and the Avas, you might have Noah Patrick or you might have Ava Bridget, but they just won't put them in uh, in the first name. So the top five names for last year for 2020 for the females for the for the for 2020 for the boys, the top five names were Jack James. Noah, Daniel and Connor. And some of them would have been old names that would have would have been uh, around. And then for the girls, the top five names were Grace, Fia, Emily, Sophie, Sophie or Sophia and uh, Ava. They're at the top. Grace actually was the most popular name for girls for the first time ever in 2020. And again, Grace was a name that would have been around many, many years ago. And then it kind of disappeared and went out of fashion and then it came back again. But I wonder, will the older Irish names like the Bridgets and the Patricks and the Padders, I wonder, will they, in years to come, will they come back into uh, vogue? But as I say, a lot of parents will, the younger parents will put them in as a second name just to try in some way to keep the tradition. Because it would be, it would be sad if a tradition, if it, a name has been in a family for many, many years, it would be sad if it did if it did disappear completely. 1850 Bernie's taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council, where communities and businesses all across the county can get the support they need at corkcoco.ie. And just a reminder to you that bingo in Newtown Chandram that was due to be on tonight, that's been cancelled and it's due to a bereavement, but it will be back next Friday, 8th of October at half eight. But there is a drive-in bingo in the creamery yard in Kildallery tonight and that's at uh, 8 o'clock. Trimmer League Autumn Fate that will be held tomorrow Saturday in Glen Illen Farm. Now a shuttle bus will run from the railway yard starting from half past one. Lots of attractions and events tomorrow. All proceeds are going to Cork Arc Cancer Support. And also tomorrow a charity cycle in aid of the air ambulance will be held tomorrow. It uh, starts and finishes in Skibbereen. Now I'm told it's suitable for all abilities. Registration will open at 9.30am tomorrow morning and what they're planning on doing is a rolling start and that's due to COVID-19 restrictions. And then on Sunday, Trim
Trimaligan District Vintage Club. They've got a tractor and car run. Now, it's a memory of Owen McSweeney. Registration in Trimaligan on Sunday morning at 11am and then they're hoping to get the run underway at 12.30. Proceeds are in aid of the wonderful Jeep for Jason and Brew Columbanus. And back by popular demand for one night only, Bantier Drama Group are presenting The Cause on this coming Sunday. It's John Deedee's historic dramatisation. We spoke about it actually on the programme a couple of weeks ago. It's the dramatisation of the burning of uh, Cork in 1920 by British forces. It is deemed to be a show not to be missed and they are will follow government guidelines so booking is essential 029 562 Court today on C103 Call Patricia with your comment 1850 Now so many people were waiting for last night to arrive for the opening of the new James Bond movie No Time to Die James Bond Licensed to Kill History of Violence could be speaking to my own reflection. Oh my God. He's going to kill millions. You don't know what this is? I have to finish this. Now, Thomas Crossy, a.k.a. Thomas Cross, a.k.a. Crossy, from our sister station FM 104 in Dublin, went along to see the premiere in Dublin on Wednesday. And Crossy joins me. Good morning or good afternoon to you, Crossy. Good afternoon. How are you? I, I'm, I, I'm very good. Um, thank you. And thanks for joining us. There's been so much hype around this movie, uh, Crossy. Did it live up to your expectations? Oh, five out of five. Like <laughs> this movie. So... Everyone can remember, it's like pre-COVID, this movie was supposed to come out, you know. And they held off. A lot of movie companies decided, you know, we we can't hold off these movies. We're going to sell them to Netflix. We'll send them to Disney+. Plus. We'll sell them to Paramount+. Plus. And Universal held it. They're like, no, no, no. This movie has to be seen on the big screen. And I'm so thankful they did because I actually think they're going to save cinemas. This movie is going to save every cinema up and down the country at the minute because everybody wants to go see it and it's well worth the wait. It's about two hours, 47 minutes long. So yeah, I now I have, to, I have to say, anyone who's contacted us who did go along to a cinema last night, uh, what everybody said, absolutely loved it. The one bowl of contention seems to be this two hours, 43 minutes. I think if if they could, they could have maybe cut out 25 minutes of it okay. and it would have just, you know, made it a tiny bit better. But... I, I suppose, you know, it was Dan, it's Daniel Craig's final movie. I think they wanted to kind of, you know, give him the send-off that maybe Pierce Brosnan didn't get or Sean Connery didn't get or any of the other Bonds. And it's the first time, you know, we've got social media, there's, you know, interviews throughout the world. This is the first time they're saying, Daniel Craig, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for being James Bond. And for any fan watching it, like, from start to finish, you just... I walked out going, wow, did that just happen? Did that? And it's so hard. Like, if anyone's going to watch it this weekend, just keep away from the spoilers because there are some bits where you're just going to go, wow, I did not think this would happen in a James Bond movie or a Daniel Craig movie. And I think, like, I was, I was telling someone the other day, because our movie, the pre- Dublin premiere, didn't start till 8 o'clock, which is quite late, usually the start about half six. And I was going, why is that? We interviewed Daniel Craig and... I was like, well, usually we have to watch the movie before we talk to the talent. And I was like, there's something strange here. Why can't, why, did, why weren't we allowed to do that? And they said, nobody was allowed to watch a movie anywhere in the world 
bar the London premiere. So there was a guy in the Lighthouse Cinema in Dublin on his phone waiting until it press played in London. And as soon as that movie started, five minutes later, everyone else was allowed to press play. Okay, is that unusual? Very. I have never, ever, in all my time doing movies, I've never, ever seen that happen before. So... It just, it just, it was just so strange. So obviously, the London one got delayed because Prince Charles and Camilla and Prince William and Kate arrived at it. And usually, when they arrive at premieres, there's a massive lockdown in London. You're not allowed to move from your spot. You get. I remember I went to some movie um, a while ago. I think it was 1917. It was called. And they were asking me for, like, really random weird details. I was going, what is this about? And then somebody messaged me and said, oh, Prince Charles is going to it, so oh. they obviously need to check your background <laughs> and make sure that you're not going to You're not to dodgy. <laughs> yeah, and it was so strange. So that's what happened with this movie. So it got a tiny bit delayed. So that meant our movie had a knock-on effect of being delayed because they made sure Bond is London, Bond is British. As soon as we press play in this, then it's free for all for everyone. It's everything. It's, it's everything. Rami Malek, who plays uh, the Bond villain, you would have known him from the Bohemian Rhapsody yeah. movie when he played Freddy. He's incredible in it. Like, incredible. Like, he's sinister. And if anyone has watched any of the previous Bond movies, where this picks up, picks up on is because in the last Bond movie, it kind of wrapped up. It's about, they've just decided, okay, you thought the last movie it wrapped up. No, no, there's one final piece to it. And parts of old movies are brought back into it. Some people from old movies are brought back into it again. They reference certain things from old movies. There's plenty of Easter eggs if you're a massive Bond fan. I would say get yourself two fizzy drinks and a big, large popcorn <laughs> and get ready just to go. Wow. And a disposable nappy. Um, <laughs> can, um the, the 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 one thing about them not releasing it and not letting reviewers watch it beforehand, which, as you say, is is normal, was that then reflected in the fact that all the reviews were so good? Do you know what? I think it was. And I think they were very clever in not allowing reviewers to watch the movie before they interview the talent because there's certain parts of the movie I think reviewers would have zoned in on. And I think that wouldn't have been fair on the public to know about that before they go into the movie. Like, there's parts of it, you're going, oh my, oh wow. Like, there's one part of it which I loved about it. There's a, it's a lot about female empowerment. You know, before, you know, James Bond was always known for, you know, going to bed with a lady or, you know, kissing a lady, whatever it was. Uh, this isn't a spoiler to the movie because you can see it in the trailer. There's none of that. You know, and I think all the actresses who have been talking about it over the past few days who are in the movie, Leia Sado, who plays Madeline's girlfriend, Lashana Lynch, who plays Double O. I'm not going to tell you what Double O she is because okay. that will spoil it for you. She is a powerhouse in it, like an absolute powerhouse. She is equal to Daniel Craig's James Bond wow. in the way she talks. And it's just everything about her. She's going to be a massive, massive star in the next while. So, But, um, but I mean, the beautiful Bond girls are still there. But this they're is, still, this is still a there. different breed of Bond girls. Yeah, they have got more control and they're on par with Bond and you could even do a separate movie on them. So it, it's, just, it's completely changed. It, the whole, it, look, we're in a new world, as Daniel Craig says. He said, we're in a new world now. Bond has to, you know, show that, that it's a new world. It's not going to be, you know, there's three girls at the bar and James Bond is going to walk over and go on a date with the three of them. Yeah. All that's gone. Yeah. It's about the action. Now, if you're a big fan of cars, wow. 
Land Rover, they must have wrecked about 25 Land Rovers <laughs> <laughs> that are all worth about 100 grand each. Yeah. Every couple of minutes, there's like, oh, there goes another Land Rover, there goes another Land Rover. The Aston Martins as well, uh, they've wrecked a few of them, but the views everywhere. I think the best thing that happened, I heard a rumour, I don't know if it's true or not, I've heard it from a few sources now, that the COVID and the 18-month delay kind of helped the Bond movie because there were certain elements of it that they weren't happy with, so they could work on it and say, right, eventually when we're allowed to post this movie out this will you know be perfect and it really was um, there's one thing about Bond he doesn't really have emotions James Bond doesn't really have emotions he has a bit of emotion in this and there will be tears there will be tears in parts oh. of the movie where you're kind of going oh this is new for James Bond I yeah. didn't know he had this And but it's welcoming it's welcoming um, I think the next big thing is now I'd say you know give it two months is who is the next James Bond yeah, well, they've been talking about that for 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 quite some yeah. time, and, and and we will talk about that in a moment. I want to ask you uh, because we mentioned James Bond last week on our movie re- review, and one of the points I was making about is it, w- some were worried about violence. Is it is is it very violent in parts? It's not as violent as the other movies. Good. It's not. Yeah, it's not as violent as the other movies, and someone did say that to me because. There was an article during the week of who has the most violent James Bond. And I was like, oh, more than likely it's Daniel Craig, you know, with special effects and all that. It was actually Pierce Brosnan. Was Pierce it? Pierce Brosnan was because the most the, violent. But, but it's one of those ones that over the years, the James Bond movies have become more violent. And someone was making the point that, you know, they remember in the 70s seeing their first Bond movie with their dad. And they're saying now, over the years, because they went so violent, dads weren't able to bring their sons to it because, they, you know, it was just too violent. So it's good to hear that this one doesn't have that same level of violence. Oh, no. And like to think about it, there's a lot more action in it. Like there's a lot more action with all the cast members. But violence-wise, I couldn't tell you, oh God, some person has been murdered because there's so much action in it. They don't really rely on that, whereas in previous good movies, they've had to rely on, we have killed a bad guy. We have killed this person. They have. There's not really much of that. Yeah, it, see, that's the way I think it's changed because, because, you know, our culture is so different now. It's changed the way they the Bond series would have looked at how they treat women and how they treat bad guys. And that has completely changed. And it's a welcoming change. Mm. Because um, just- you mentioned you mentioned Rami Malek uh, it, uh, a good uh, he he comes I saw him on the Graham Norton show and I just thought that piece where he said you know he was on set and he realised eyeballing Daniel Craig and realised oh my god that's James Bond just <laughs> that moment in time from it, it looks like the the few little clips I've seen he makes a really good villain he he makes a really good villain and the reason why is because you don't know where he's going to go next. Whereas other Bond villains were evil or they had this really mysterious look about them. Uh, Rami Malek's, um, his Bond villain, is a bit more crazy. So, you know, by the eye of him, you don't know which way he's going to go, whether he's going to be nice, whether he's not going to be nice. Like, there's parts of it where there's a little girl in the movie and he's minding this little girl and you're going, what's going to happen next? You know, like, is he going to is he going to kidnap her or is he going to be really nice to her? So stuff like that, I think that's what makes it so good because you're kind of, you get invested in every single one of the characters and you're kind of going, right, this isn't normal. This isn't a normal Bond. Things have changed. Uh, in, in, like This, again, is not a spoiler. Bond has retired mm. and he comes back into service. So and he looks that tad bit older as well. So like this is this is definitely the last bond because he he actually looks older. Um, yeah, he couldn't possibly he couldn't possibly make another one. Oh, you know, even, what? even if he wanted to. 
as I sit here, like, you know, he is uh, definitely a, a million times fitter than I am and <laughs> probably twice my age. But he is, uh, yeah, you can kind of see that he, I don't think they could make another one just for that reason that I, I think the age thing is probably against him now. So he, re- uh, he really is going out on a high on this one. He Classy. is, yeah. he is, and I really like the fact that you know they, they've allowed him to go out in a high. You know, I thought they might pull the reins in a tiny bit, or they might launch. You know, you know, let's do something different. I like the way they have given it to him. They have just said, "This is your movie. We are not going to intrude on it." Like if you saw in the red carpet pictures in London, mm-hmm. it was very strange that he wore a kind of a pinky red type of suede jacket, and the reason behind that was was Daniel Craig says. Okay, I'm now not Bond anymore. All the previous Bond red carpets, he wore a black tie, and he looks, you know, he he is James Bond. Whereas this time round, he was like, no, he's like, I'm not James Bond anymore. I'm going to the premiere. I'm saying goodbye to my character. It's over to somebody else. And it was quite nice, you know, that he. he like, uh, some people think, oh no, he just wore that because he liked it. Like, no, all this would have been pre-planned. Everything would have been pre-planned because they've had so much time to think about it. Um, I've already heard that so many people have gone to see it so far and it's only been out not even 24 hours, which is great to see. It's great yeah, to see it's brilliant. And cinema. as you said at the start, this is this could be the saviour of the cinemas and God knows the cinemas, the owners and the people who work there, they, need it. they, they needed a James Bond more than ever. You mentioned, you touched on the fact that Prince William and Kate uh, were there. God, wasn't she could have been a Bond girl. She looked oh, absolutely wow. stunning in the gold dress. Incredible looking. Absolutely incredible. So I'm in a WhatsApp group with um, a girl from Sky News and a girl from Good Morning Britain. When we do red carpet, you're usually standing there for two hours on a red carpet before any talent goes past. So I've got to know these people throughout the years. And I messaged <laughs> one of them and I was like, what was she like in real life? And she says, at one stage, nobody was looking at Daniel Craig. Everybody <laughs> was looking at as Kate Middleton. I was going, wow. I was like, that's mad that, that you know, that they that they outshone even James Bond himself. But they were there, they walked around, they spoke to the red carpet, they went over to the fans, they took photographs, and they really embraced the fact that, you know, James Bond is a, is a movie, and the fact that, you know, that the, the royal family is mentioned quite a bit in James Bond movies. That was you know, that was cool. That was yeah. Good it was a nod to them as well, which 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 is good. So so no time to die is one we're going to be talking about for many years to come, Crossley. Oh, definitely, definitely, and I, I would say there's going to be a couple of Oscar nods next year for it. Okay, you um, just and just to finish up, who's your favourite James Bond to date? Who who has it been? I'm going to say Daniel Craig. Would you? Yeah. I'm going to say the only reason why is because I love movies that are very realistic, or you know, you kind of feel like it could possibly happen. And, you know, even though I wouldn't, or, and I, feel, I kind of felt over the years that the, the Daniel Craig era has kind of made it more real. I would say the same about Marvel movies. I hate when there's like aliens and monsters and all that stuff. Mm. And I'm like, oh God, lads, come on, just keep to the keep to the point, you know. Make it feel like that you could stick on a Batman suit or a, a black suit and you could be Batman or James Bond or, <laughs> or whoever you want to play in. But um, but no, it's it's a great time for the cinemas. I think over the next run, there is some massive movies coming out in the cinema between now and Christmas. And I think this is the one that if people are nervous to go back to the cinema, they want to see Bond. They want to see it on the massive screens. And I think this is a great start. And I'm so happy that Universal actually kept it for the cinema. Yeah, well done. Yeah. The and they could, have, they could have released it like everything else to make the money back. But, but yeah. I, think they, I think they've absolutely uh, done the right thing. And now yeah. the question to finish it off, who is going to be the next James Bond? 
someone asked me this the other day and I had a great think about it. Here's my theory. I don't think they're going to go with a girl. They, sorry, they definitely aren't going to go with a girl. Okay. Uh, Bar- Barbara Broccoli, who is the head of uh, the Bond series, Barbara had said, had said in previous interviews, she was like, I'm the person who's choosing and it's going to be a man because that's where the books are from, whatever. But I don't think it's going to be someone famous. I don't think it's going to be, people say they think it's going to be Idris Elba. Idris is too famous. Um, someone says Tom Hardy, I think too famous. Mm. Um, I think they're going to go with somebody who's, you know, half famous or just thereabouts Hollywood, but not proper Hollywood. I'll give you two examples. The guy who played Elton John in the movie, uh, Taron Egerton. Yeah. I think it could be him. Oh. Or there's a guy who was in Bohemian Rhapsody. And if any of your listeners have ever watched EastEnders, he would have played Peter Beale in EastEnders. His name is... Ben Hardy. He's blonde, he's young. And I think I know the, the guy you're talking about, yeah. Yeah, I, I have a hard, funny feeling it's going to be of that wavelength, only because they need, like if this is successful, the next one, which it probably will be, they need us, you know, to run for as long as they want. The problem they had with Daniel was his age. So he only really got, you know, 15 years out of it. But if they get someone who's 23, 24, they could, they could get, get 25 more. Yeah, years. Yeah, 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 that's so, a good point. Uh, yeah, and I think, I think Idris is so famous. He's done The Wire. He was in a Marvel movie before. He's been in so much that I don't think they could shake it, shake it off. Now, he'd be brilliant. He would be fantastic. But I think he's probably a bit too old or he's a bit too well-established in other roles that he's been in. So I'd say they're going to go with somebody who's probably not as massively famous. Someone then said Paul Meskel. I don't know if he, I, 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 Paul Meskel is a fantastic actor, but I don't think he has what is it, what the Bond role has. You know that kind of kind of grittiness, and no, you'd be no. half afraid of him yeah. walking down the street, but also half curious to go what's yeah, going to happen. Yeah, no, Paul is lovely, but no, I wouldn't. Yeah. I couldn't see. And how how many years? I mean, it, they only come out every every number of years. It'll be how many years before we'd even be talking about another Bond movie? I would say four. Four, would is say it three four? Or okay. four. Yeah, I right. would, it's, such a, it's, a, it's such a money spinner, you know, like Heineken 00 spent, what, 40 million on advertising just before COVID. So, you know, because this movie was just coming out before COVID. Just about, yeah. yeah they and just they wasted all that money. Yeah. They wasted all that money. So you okay. got Heineken. Oh, but, but yeah, it's, it's, like, it's a massive money spinner. So I would say four years. But well worth going to see No Time to Die and it is in all of the cinemas. Listen, Crossy, I really enjoyed our chat. Thank you for that. Thank you. And congratulations again on the Hall of Fame, by you're, the way. You're very kind. Thank you very much. You Listen, too. mind Bye yourself. Then. Bye-bye. That is uh, Crossy from our sister station, FM 104 in uh, Dublin. No Time to Die, the latest James Bond movie. 1850 333 103. Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 And some comments in about names when I mentioned how the, the survey to celebrate Grandparents' Day and how we seem to be losing the tradition of passing names down through uh, families and the Marys the Michaels the Johns the Bridgets are all dying out of fashion one listener says you have a listener here Patricia with three very traditional names Bernadette Mary Bridget and I'm assuming they're all your own name as opposed to you've named three children Bernadette Mary Bridget thank you for that and then Noel in North Corks he reckons his name of Noel never goes out of fashion because he says anyone who was born around Christmas is likely to end up with the name Noel so he reckons that's one of the ones that's going to hang in there and Tom says Patricia some parents are giving names to their children that I would I'd be slow to give to a dog oh goodness me (laughs) 
And uh, Anne was on to say, Patricia, she heard me read out the story about the, the elderly lady in Aldi who forgot her shopping and how the lady behind jumped in and paid for the shopping and the daughter was on just to say thank you. Uh, says, ah, Patricia, wasn't that a lovely, kind thing to do? Well done to that lady out shopping yesterday. Okay, that's where I wrap it up for today. My thanks to Bernie Murphy for producing. And we'll talk to you on Monday morning at 10 o'clock. Until then, I'm Patricia Messenger. Very good. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.